Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss sound practices and superlative resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Really grateful today to have Mark Giacobbe in Philadelphia. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well, Travis. Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Got to chat a little bit last week and connect. Mark, for our audience, is the teaching fellow and PhD candidate at Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, teaching mostly in Greek, and an associate pastor at City Light Church in Philadelphia. Um, Mark, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about how you got to Westminster, your journey leading up to that, and how things have been since you got there. Sure, yeah. So my past, perhaps it, it, it could be described as meandering, but I believe God's sovereign. So um, <laughs> I'm an older student. I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my late 40s, so I, you know, it's, I didn't do what, what a lot of folks do, is, you know, sort of undergrad and then seminary and then just, you know, boom into PhD. And I, I actually did quite a bit of music uh, back in my 20s. I was uh, living in New York and, uh, you know, I was a songwriter and a worship leader and, and that uh, doing all that kind of thing. It was great. It was fun. I loved it. Um, God brought me uh, into a very different direction about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, I was, as I said, I was living in New York, and I was actually in New York on, on uh, 9-11. And uh, that, that day, you know, it changed a lot of people's lives. It changed my life. Uh, in particular, sort of to make a, a long story short, I, I felt uh, that God was calling me actually to go over to uh, Afghanistan, sort of as an aid worker. Uh, and, you know, long story short, that's what I did. So uh, I spent about um, probably a grand total of four years actually on the ground there, uh, working in Afghanistan throughout the 2000s. And it was, it was amazing. I was working in uh, education and just, you know, able to share my life with people from uh, sort of very different uh, backgrounds, just absolutely wonderful. Think about it every day. Uh, but in any event, uh, probably, I think it was about 10 years ago, I really felt as if I was lacking uh, a bit where theological education was concerned. I've always been, you know, sort of an avid reader and student of the Bible, but had never approached it in a, you know, sort of a systematic way. And so it's, it's actually 10 years ago now, I began my and give uh, there up at Gordon-Conwell, and once I started doing that, I just couldn't seem to stop myself, and so ended up getting uh, MDiv, THM at Gordon-Conwell, and five years ago, moved uh, down here to, to Philly to begin the PhD in New Testament at Westminster. Hey, that's wonderful, man. I love that. Um, I think long story short could probably be a biography name for you at some point. Um, <laughs> and speaking of long stories short, I love this. You're in the middle of your dissertation, and I'm going to try to get you to talk about it in like five to ten minutes. Um, and that is uh, a great task for both of us. And uh, hopefully uh, everybody will be able to learn. But I just think it's, it's great for people to hear the unconventional direction that you took and maybe some people who have been wondering if, if doctoral level or even graduate level education is for them uh, at this point in their lives. And also good to just hear how you're processing through your dissertation. Some of our listeners are going to be scholars who are well past that stage um, and honestly don't miss it. And it's good for them to be reminded of what it's like, especially if they're advising doctoral students. And some of our listeners are going to be people entering that phase soon. Maybe they're taking their colloquia or something, or their graduate students considering a PhD. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the content of your dissertation and what that experience has been like so far? Sure. So uh, as I said, I I am uh, working in in New Testament, and I'm working in Luke Acts 
in particular. And uh, the, the, the burden of my dissertation is to uh, demonstrate the influence of the narrative structure of the Old Testament books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles on the narrative structure of the books of Luke and Acts. And um, you know, I believe that a careful sort of study of both works, that is a study of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles on the one hand, and Luke and Acts on the other hand, will reveal that a certain uh, constellation of literary features in Luke Acts can best be explained by attributing influence from Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Uh, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. And we're going to get to flesh that out. I love, see, this is the mark of what's going to be a good dissertation because you can succinctly explain what it is you're trying to say. Um, now, some of our some of our listeners are like, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've thought about that or, or, or completely blindsided. Others um, are just hanging on for the ride. And so let's uh, we're going to try to bridge that gap for them. But you talked about in our first conversation, um, one of the really important uh, background pieces method pieces of your dissertation. And I think, as you mentioned it, that it's something that could uh, really be expanded and applied to a lot of different areas, whether we're talking about pastors writing sermons, maybe, or we're talking about fellow PhD students or people doing scholarship. I haven't looked into this uh, uh, a whole lot myself, but I want to hear you talk about it. It's Bayes' theorem. Bayes' theorem. Mm-hmm. What, what is yeah, that, Bayes. first of all, and why should pastors and scholars care? Sure. So uh, Bayes' theorem is a, sort of a, a mathematical theorem. That's, uh, it's sort of, uh, I'm given to understand, it's the foundation of, of statistics, really. And although, you know, the good news for, for our purposes, we don't need to get into the math. You know, people can look Amen. it up if they want. But, Praise the Lord. You know, but, 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 but here's the payoff. The, 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 really, uh, the important implication of Bayes' theorem is that it emphasizes the role of what are called prior probabilities. And so I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, let's say you're, you know, 30 years old, you know, healthy, no history of heart problems in you or your family, and all of a sudden, you, you know, one day you have, you know, chest pains, you know. Uh, you, you know, you go to your doctor, go to the ER, can you do Absolutely. But the fact is, somebody like that, there's a, a, prior to your symptoms, without considering your symptoms, there's simply a very low probability that somebody like that, a young person, no history, no family history, is going to be having a heart attack. It's overwhelmingly likely that it's something else, you know, an indigestion or something. And so what Bayes' theorem uh, implies is that uh, in making all sorts of inferences, we really have to first consider what's known as the prior probability or the background probability of something being true before we can consider the particular evidence that we're faced with. Uh, so it, you know, really, you know, it has, it's very mathematical, it's very, you know, gets into the details, which, you know, I'm, I'm not a tremendously, uh, accomplished math person, but I, you know, looked, looked at the basics of it. But it does also get looped into, you know, arguments in, in, uh, historical inquiry and biblical studies. Uh, and so one example of that, there's a scholar by the name of Christoph Heilig, who's, I believe his dissertation just got published. It's called uh, Hidden Criticism. And, uh, it, and what he's done is he's taken this idea that N.T. Wright and others have written on, that the Apostle Paul is uh, sort of subtly critiquing the Roman Empire. It's called Empire Criticism. And, and what he's doing with this is he's trying to subject it to like a Bayesian analysis. And, he, and what he's trying to get is, hey, 
this is great, maybe this is happening, maybe it's not. What is the sort of background chance that somebody like Paul would have been, you know, criticizing the Roman Empire in a subtle way? And so what he's trying to do is, is, is give some sort of basis to, you know, put, put arguments like this on a firmer footing. And I'm trying to do the same thing with my uh, Luke Axe work. I love that, man. You know, hermeneutics is the rule of the game, right? And, and we want to play the game according to the rules. And any time we can um, get a better understanding of how to weigh arguments, um, and I think that's what you're getting at a little bit with this. You know, you're talking about probabilities yeah. and statistics, and all I can think is how blessed I am to have never had to take a statistics <laughs> course. Uh, you know, I, math was fine, and there's a reason why I'm not a mathematician, right? So, um, But right. all that said, anything that I can grab a hold of when I'm saying, you know, I, I hear the arguments on both sides. They both seem to have things in their favor. How can I best weigh this without just going off of a bias or my intuition or something? Anytime I can get a concrete way to evaluate someone's exegetical argument i think it's worth talking about so tell us a little bit about how that applies then to your dissertation how how does this background probability apply yeah go ahead absolutely and just you know to kind of frame the problem a different way you know let me start with you know the word of god is deep right you know god is is brilliant he's omniscient omniscient it's the word of god is just so deep and that, but that, what that probably means is there are a lot of subtle things going on, you know, in the Bible that sort of remain to be discovered. You know, there are treasures beneath our feet, if you will. But how do we know? You know, it, it, I think there's a rhyme that says, uh, what is it, many, many, many things in the Bible I see, some put there by God, some put there by me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, know, we don't, uh, you know, we don't want to be reading things in if we can help it. So, so with respect to my work, look, I, I'm, my thesis is new. Nobody's ever quite argued this. People have argued bits and pieces, and I'm sort of pulling threads together and bringing forward some additional evidence that no, nobody's put forward before. But this is a subtle thing. I, I'm saying, look, that, that Luke is, is, you know, people talk about Isaiah, that Luke knows Isaiah. People talk about the Elijah. Elisha narrative, nobody said, what I'm saying, which is that Samuel and Kings and Chronicles as a whole are influencing Luke's narrative structure. So, so what I'm to answer your question, I'm trying to show, um, for example, that Luke. I need to show that Luke unquestionably was familiar with the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles in a clear way. Because so, there's no point, you know, talking about a subtle use if you can't demonstrate a clear use. Mm-hmm. So that's one example of kind of a, a prior probability. Sure. Um, Another piece of my dissertation, for my dissertation to be true, it must be true that Luke was reading Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles together at the same time, synoptically, almost like we would if, you know, if we went out and got like a chronological Bible where they splice them together. And this is uh, research I've never seen done before. I did the research. It turns out that, that reading those two books that way is precisely, if you will, the default way that the books were read in the Second Temple period. I have, I don't know, probably a dozen or more examples, Josephus and um, Dead Sea Scrolls and all sorts of things, where, where people, it appears that they're thinking of both books uh, together. Uh, so that's another, you know, so if I can't demonstrate that, then, my, then there's just, my thesis is a priori is less likely to be true. Mm-hmm. But since it is true, I say, hey, I got a shot, you know, there's, there's a shot at this. That's right. And, uh, you know, there are a couple other, well, and then I'll just mention one other. One other from the Greco-Roman side, another uh, thing is that, look, Luke Acts is a work of historiography, uh, generically speaking. The genre is most likely historiography. Well, it turns out 
that uh, ancient historiographers, as a matter of course, used other works of historiography as literary templates or as bases or as models for their work. And, you know, there's Josephus's Antiquities and many other models that you can... So what I'm trying to do is say, look, what I'm saying Luke did is eminently likely, even before I show you my more subtle evidence. There's a background. And uh, to get to the payoff, and just real quick, to get to the payoff, this will, will enable uh, people who, you know, the, the five people or so who read my work, it will enable them to interact with similar proposals. For example, the work of a guy named Thomas Brody, who said that Luke is based on uh, the Elisha cycle. And then there's another guy, Dennis McDonald, who says that, you know, Luke is imitating Homer. And I think I've got better prior probabilities than, than both of those guys, mm -hmm. uh, and, and probably better sort of micro-evidence as well. Sure. So help me bring this, bring this down a level. Um, if we are talking about the overall structure of a book of the Bible, um, and mm -hmm. we're talking about maybe connections it has to other aspects of Scripture— what significance? So let's assume you're on the other side of this dissertation. Let's assume that um, you have shown without a doubt that this is, is happening in Luke and Acts. What is the significance doctrinally? Or uh, And obviously it's, it's hopefully not going to shift any major doctrinal understanding, or else I'm going to be uh, a little suspicious. But, let's, <laughs> let, but how is it going to inform what we know about Jesus? And how is it going to inform how we read these narratives? Absolutely. Fantastic question. Um, and, and let me just, you know, people who are tracking with me, let me just give a bit more detail. Sure. So w one part of what I'm saying is nothing new at all. I'm saying that in Luke, Luke is presenting Jesus sort of as a new David. His, his Christology, if you will, is very influenced by David. There's nothing really new there. People have said that before. But the, the piece that is new is, is that I'm saying that this, Davidic uh, identity, if you will, is carried over into Acts. Specifically, I believe that Luke, and it's rather unique, Matthew doesn't do this, John doesn't do this, Mark doesn't do this, Luke is unique among the evangelists in presenting the apostles and disciples as heirs of David's kingdom. Uh, we see that, like in the Last Supper, Jesus says, I covenant to you a kingdom, uh, as my Father covenanted, covenanted, covenanted to me, and uh, so what I'm, here's a new piece. So I, I'm, I'm saying, in a sense, the Gospel of Luke is influenced by the books uh, of Samuel and First Chronicles. Okay, all right, that's new, a little bit new there. But my real new piece is to say that the structure of Acts and certain features of Acts are influenced by the book of Kings and Second Chronicles. You're like, what? What are you talking about? And the, the payoff is that... Um, in the Old Testament, we know that David's heirs, that is Solomon and, and all the rest, for the most part did a lousy job of administering David's kingdom. There are a few bright spots, Hezekiah just died. For the most part, they drive the kingdom into the ground. They're kicked out. They're exiled and not faithful. I believe what Luke is showing is, hey, Jesus is the heir of David, and guess who, guess who uh, the torch gets passed on to? It gets passed on to his apostles and disciples. In a sense as kings, if you will. Not over Jesus, but, you know what I'm saying, ruling, co-heirs, if you will, ruling with Jesus. So the practical payoff has to do less, less with Christ, but more about our identity in Christ. 
and our royal, you know, the old the sort of the prophet, priest, king thing, mm-hmm. emphasizing the king element, that we are, all of us, not just the 12 apostles, but all of Jesus, apostles and disciples, I believe Luke is saying, are sort of royal heirs, reign with Jesus, bringing the kingdom, as it were, to the ends of the earth. Amen, man. Hey, that's that's a good word, and, and I love and I love that we can support those ideas more straightforward in other passages of scripture and see how as we dig deep into some of this background and literary structure, uh, doing a whole dissertation about a subject like this, that we are adding a nuance and yet confirming God's word over and over and over. Um, and, and those of those of our listeners who are, if there are any of them left, who are a little bit suspicious about academia, um, again, I don't know that they were ever listening in the first place, but many of them are, are my friends and family whom I love, and I hope they're hearing that what we're not doing here is inventing new ideas. Um, at the end of the day, what we're doing here is exploring, mining the riches of the deepness of God's word, like you uh, referred to earlier. And I, I just appreciate that. And you know, this idea that you're, you're getting at with this extending to the apostles is really just serving to exalt Jesus. Jesus says the true and better David, um, was not only a king over the kingdom, but he was the, the king who finally got it right as it concerns raising up heirs after him. Um, Absolutely. And, and succeeding where David and Solomon and so many others had failed. And man, that's, if we don't get a bigger picture of Jesus and it's all for naught, but if we do get a bigger picture of Jesus and it's all worth it. Um, so man, that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah. good. That's good stuff. I love hearing that. What, um, what advice would you give to, uh, and there's, there's three groups of people here. So kind of tackle it whenever order you want. What advice would mm-hmm. you give to current PhD students about to enter the dissertation phase uh, make that as specific or general as you'd like. I just think it'd be good for them to hear from you. Uh, what advice would you give to pastors who are looking into good resources to better comprehend these kinds of issues in Scripture, who who maybe have uh, gone on to do their MDiv and, and, and not gone on Ph.D. studies or maybe haven't um, gotten their MDiv either? Uh, what resources would you have them use? And then the third person is, uh, just the late person who's going to be sitting in church this Sunday and going to be hearing a sermon from Luke or Acts, what ought they keep in mind as they're listening? And I know that's a lot, so if I need to repeat, let me know. But first, sure, PhD no, students about to enter the dissertation stage. So for PhD students, this may be well-worn advice, but I would say especially you know, for those in North America, I assume perhaps most of the listeners are, but who knows? In North America, the sooner you can get an idea of what it is you want to write about, you know, the, just the better it will be, because you can just be more efficient as you go through your coursework. That was, you know, full disclosure, that was not the case for me. This dissertation is an idea that sort of came to me through the process. Uh, and so that's definitely, you know, if I had it to do over again, certainly I'd be, I'd be, do, I'd be doing that. You know, so the more you can sort of think ahead, to the final product and goal all along at, at every step, you know, the, the better off you'll be. Other than that, my only advice would be, you know, use cloud backups and multiple backups <laughs> of your work Amen. so that you don't lose anything. You know? I can, I, can, uh, uh, I can think of a story right now, but I, I, for the sake of the innocent, <laughs> I will not tell it. I think I'm good on that front, but oh Lord, please may I be good on that front. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, everybody thinks they're good, right? No, I'm I'm sure it will it will be just fine. But so so that's the first for PhD students. So how about this, pastors who are um, 
wanting to incorporate some of these elements really to familiarize themselves, what resources should they be looking to um, other than when we, when we get to uh, have your published dissertation in a, in a year or two? Um, but what resources should they be looking to for issues like this one? Right. So, uh, you know, I think in general, of course, it depends on the past. It depends on uh, if and where they did, did their seminary work. But sort of from, from where I sit, I feel as if uh, more past, uh, pastors in general could be more familiar with biblical theology uh, as opposed to systematic theology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dissertation is certainly an example of biblical theology in the sense of tracing themes throughout the Bible, in this case the theme of uh, king and kingdom. Uh, you know, the, the fact is, look, you, you, get, you get together, you know, for someone with coffee or someone interested in the faith, you're going to get very often into systematic-type questions. But what gets lost, I've seen very often, is uh, biblical theology, by which I mean attending more to the overall storyline of the Bible and uh, particular themes of the Bible and how these themes present themselves all, all throughout. So in terms of resources on this, I mean, there's many, you know... Um, the Desmond Alexander, I think, from Paradise, uh, is it from Paradise to Promised Land? He has two, doesn't he? From Paradise to Promised Land, but then uh, from Eden to the New Jerusalem, kind of an overview of the Bible's biblical theology. If you want to take that even further, Greg Beale's book, The Temple and the Church's Mission, is just really deep on the temple theme. Uh, and um, let's see, those are a couple good books. Uh, on, on Kingdom, I'm trying to think, there's a guy named Carl Allen Kuhn who has a book with Kingdom in the title. Is it The Kingdom According? Well, I'm going to mess up the title, but Carl Allen Kuhn is, is the author. It's a really nice intro to Luke Acts, actually, that I reviewed one. Hey, I appreciate that, Mark. Uh, you know, I assume two th- at least two things about most of our listeners. One, that they like um, they like reading. They like academics. Um, exegetical tools focuses a whole lot on languages and then secondarily on a lot of very academic resources. Uh, but the second thing I assume about them, just because they are a human being, is that they are crazy busy all the time. And so what I really appreciate is getting, uh, instead of them having to try to wade through hundreds of volumes of books, just getting a few good suggestions from people they can trust. So, man, I appreciate that. I think it goes a really long way. Uh, my third question, uh, just a, a layperson who's carrying out their ministry uh, as a part of a family, as a member of the workforce, they're going to be sitting uh, in church this Sunday, maybe they're going to hear a sermon from Luke or Acts. Um, what does this matter to them? Yeah, well, I, I think I want to make two points. I'll make a sort of a specific one, then a more then a more general one. Uh, the specific thing, you know, if like you say, if they're sort of maybe studying Luke and Acts now, or, or they're uh, sitting through a sermon series on, on Luke Acts, you know, they might want to pay attention uh, to uh, things that are said about Jesus, or better yet, things that are implied about Jesus, and how Jesus is compared to certain Old Testament figures, particularly David is, is my work, but then others have pointed out Moses, uh, and, and even Elijah and Elisha Jesus is compared to. So kind of, you know, always check your little uh, cross-references in your Bible, you know, in the middle margin or at the bottom, wherever they are. Check those Old Testament cross-references. It can be very fruitful in figuring out what's going on. Uh, if you're an act, you know, I mean, you know, may, maybe think about, you know, go back to uh, the Old Testament, go back to, you know, the, the, let's say the end of First Chronicles and the beginning of Second Chronicles, when the, when the torches pass, you know, from David to Solomon. And, you know, think about the, the, um, how, how Luke, as I'm arguing, is doing sort of the same thing, showing that Jesus passes the torch 
to his apostles and disciples, except unlike Solomon, empowered now by the Holy Spirit, you know, we, we, we can do, you know, what, what those guys sort of fail to do in a sense and be victorious agents of the kingdom. And then just a, a more general point, but I think it's important. You know, I've found that some of the best uh, books and dissertations begin with simple questions and even simple hunches. Uh, again, I'll, I'll mention Greg Deal again. His, his temple book begins with a very simple question. Why does, why is the new heavens and new earth, why does it seem like it's described as a garden and then in the next, very next place it's described as a city? You know, what's up with that? And, and you know, he takes some 300-some-odd pages to answer, but it's a good example just, you know, being good observers of the text, reading carefully. You know, you, you don't even need Greek. Greek is great, but you're just reading carefully and then asking good, even simple questions and then probing the Bible itself, of course, and, and wise people for answers to those questions. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, um, we have God's Word. We have it um, in a variety of great English translations with tons and tons of study resources, often just printed right there next to uh, the scripture. And man, we just don't, uh, don't need to take that for granted. We don't need to take for granted what other people died for, um, let alone just the gift of God in that, that he revealed himself to us at all, let alone uh, in his providence, making that accessible um, to many of us. And, And so I appreciate your uh, eye to one um, believers who are not working in an academic situation, um, but two also your eye. Just mentioning, you know, North American Christians, North American, because you've had experience outside of what um, so often is considered uh, normal for for me, um, and just the the water I swim in every day. Uh, just to remind us of exactly. Uh, how beautiful these resources are that we're given. And I just, I I hope that as we talk about all this, there there are going to be many who keep up with you in your work as it's coming out and and many who who go look up some of those resources especially i know uh, the the treasure of westminster over there gk beal um really love and have benefited from a lot of his work i mean i i hope they'll go look up that uh that book and really benefit from it but i hope more than anything that nobody will uh, walk away from this podcast without resolving i'm going to go read my bible um and i'm going to go read it for all it's worth um, because that's what we're here for. So, hey, Mark, I'm so glad you've been on here. Um, any parting words for our listeners? Oh, just, you know, I don't know. This sounds very pastoral, but I, I'm a pastor, so I guess I can say that. You know, ne- never, you know, never let, you know, study of the holy, of holy things obscure our love for the Holy One. Hmm. Uh, it's good advice that was passed on to me and just pass that on to others. Uh, you know, let, let's try to let our academic study at whatever level. It'll lead us further up and further into uh, worship of of our great God. Amen. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Travis. Great talking with you. Mm -hmm.